Hey, welcome to episode number 36 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan Nold. I'm a pastor, your Bible reader, and host for this podcast, More Than Bread. We're in the home stretch of this journey through the whole New Testament, about another six episodes or so, and we'll be done. I really appreciate you joining me and, and uh, hundreds of others who are taking this same journey. When we're done with this journey, um, we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive into the Gospel of John. We'll do 20 plus episodes on the Gospel of John. But for now, before I jump in and read the remainder of Hebrews, I just want to encourage you on your journey into Scripture, your journey with Christ, with these words in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. We'll read them in a moment. But he- here's what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Even in just this run through the New Testament, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. So keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the goal. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. Jesus has got this. Jesus has got you. So let's dive into the last part of Hebrews. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, Hebrews chapters 8 through 13. Paul continues on in verse in chapter 8 with these words. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest, remember Paul's talking about Jesus here, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there are already priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy of a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I've shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant. In my words, that word covenant it simply means an agreement or deal or contract. Jesus mediates, he's brought a far better deal for us with God based on better promises. Verse 7, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The covenant, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But, but this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Now, before we go on further, let me just say that this is hearkening back. This language even harkens back to the book of Ezekiel, where, where God says, I will write my law on their hearts. I'll, I'll take away their heart of stone, give them the heart of flesh, and write my laws on their hearts so that, so that obedience and our relationship with God springs up from the inside, not just imposed upon us from the outside. I'll put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. 
And he continues in verse 10, I will be their God. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord from everyone, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. And, and please note in this new covenant that, that the author of Hebrews is, is laying out here, it's not just a matter of we will be better able to follow the laws, that, that we'll be able to live to a higher standard. What he said, that they won't need to teach anybody anymore to know the Lord because they'll already know from the least to the greatest. And, and I believe here with all my heart that he's, he, he's reaching for, looking forward to the role of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of our lives, that God is with us. So verse 13, excuse me, verse 12, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Hebrews chapter 9. That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a golden incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. And inside the ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place. In my words, sometimes today you hear of this being referred to as the holy of holies. Only the high priest could enter into the holy of holies and then even only once a year. We continue verse 7. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time, for the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So, Paul says in verse 11, Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, God offered himself, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. 
For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. And then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, my words, you, you, you may struggle with this. You may struggle with this, this kind of law that actually leads to the, to the cross. It's all wrapped up in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But in this new deal, it's something brand new. But, but don't miss this sentence. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why, verse 23, the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrews chapter 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have purified once for all time, would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, these are the words, this is is my words, but these are the words of Jesus To God, to his Father God. Listen to this. These are the words of Jesus to his Father God before he left heaven to come down to earth. He said this, verse 7. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scripture. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, verse 8, or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. 
He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest, our high priest, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is a new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. Now, before I finish out the rest of chapter 10, just to kind of recap everything that Paul is doing in these chapters, he's saying there was an old way, there was an old covenant. It involved day after day, sacrifices for sin, day after day, year after year. But those sacrifices for sin, when he says they never made somebody clean, what, what he meant was they, they never changed the person. They, they just forgave past sins. It was a way of trying to be made right with God because of the, the sins of the past. But what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the once and for all perfect sacrifice of Christ is so much better than the old way. It's so much better than the old way because now the once for all sacrifice has not only forgiven us for sins past and sins present, but sins future. And not only forgiven us for sins, but it's actually transforming us. It's it's writing the laws of God on our hearts. And it says, verse 18, when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. When it's the perfect sacrifice. Verse 19 And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And before I continue on, let me remind you of one of the Gospels. In one of the Gospels, what, what we find out happened on the day that Christ died, when he died, it says the the curtain in the temple was torn in two as though from the top to the bottom, as though God reached down from heaven and ripped the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place in two. What was the significance of that? God was saying from now on, because of Christ and his sacrifice, you can enter into the very holy presence of God. So let me read that verse again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, the author writes in verse 19, We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. So let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. My words, what is the hope we affirm? The hope we affirm is that because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, we can enter boldly into the very presence of God. So hold tightly to this hope. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Verse 24, let us think of ways 
to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, let me clarify, especially in this day of coronavirus and quarantines and, and churches doing this, that, or the other thing, when, when the author of Hebrews says, let us not neglect our meeting together, some do. It's not necessarily meeting together on Sunday. It's not necessarily meeting together for worship. It's not necessarily meeting together in one building. But we must not neglect our meeting together. And in fact, Jesus said, when two or three of you get together, I'll show up in a very real intimate way. That's kind of the quorum, two or three. But we need those two or three meeting together once while otherwise, what is it that we cannot do? We cannot motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This is what we do when we gather together. We encourage one another and we motivate each other to acts of love and good works. Verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, uh, my words, one of the things that I found is we've been reading through the New Testament from the Gospels on. I think this time around, reading the New Testament, I've been, I've, I've noticed more and more just kind of that, that sense of urgency about the consequences of sin. And not that we need to live perfectly, but, but that we should see sin as it is. We should see God as he is. And be a little bit more urgent about getting rid of sin and confessing sin and repenting of sin so that we can chase God with all our hearts. Verse 32, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Hebrews chapter 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see, and through their faith the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed to God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. 
It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Let me pause there for a moment on that verse. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I think in our day and age, in our culture, in the American church, I think we believe that God exists, but I'm not so sure we we actually believe that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I don't know that we believe that going all in, chasing God with all our hearts, will lead to our greater reward. That's what we need to believe. It was by faith, verse 7, that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. My words, they could have gone back to normal. But verse 16, instead they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I remember the last time I read through the book of Hebrews and uh, this, these are my words. Verse 16 just impacted me. It gripped my heart and specifically these words. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. I want to live my life in such a way that God is not ashamed to be called my God. Verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of, each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when he left. 
It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on the dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But... Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. And yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that we would not so that they would not reach perfection without us. Let me just emphasize that before we go on to the next chapter. What what a what an amazing chapter. We often call this the Faith Hall of Fame. This recitation of all the people of faith in the Old Testament, not all of them, but a number of them, where, where the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of all the things that these people did by faith. But, but most powerful to me is at the end, the unnamed people who were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, the unnamed people who were jeered at and cut open with whips, others chained in prisons, the unnamed people who, who, who went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated, the unnamed heroes of the faith who were simply too good for this world. And all of these people, the ones mentioned by name, the unnamed ones who, 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 who didn't get their reward at that time, all of them earned a good reputation because of their faith. And going up to the verse that we read earlier, God was not ashamed. God was not ashamed to be called their God. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, it goes back to verse 11. Because of all of these people of faith, having, having heard and been reminded again of all the stories of these people of faith, therefore, chapter 12, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off 
every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. My words, this is what repentance is. It's getting rid of every weight, every sin that holds us back so that we can be God chasers, not just church goers, but God chasers. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it, it means that you're illegitimate. You're not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No, you, you've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God himself, who's the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger. We will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. 
And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful. And please, God, by worshiping with him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. Hebrews chapter 13, concluding words. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Pray for us. For our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do and especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. And now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all that you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I've written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. You may or may not know this, but the, the people of Myanmar right now are going through a, a really hard time. The Burmese people are one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. 27 million people, almost 99% Buddhists. The Joshua Project ranks them in the top 25 countries for the persecution of Christians. Theoretically, it's legal to have a church and legal to be a Christian, but practically, it's always brought a host of potential difficulties. Legally, it's against the law to encourage others to become followers of Jesus. So baptism is a really big deal. It costs something to make a public declaration for Christ. 
But the leaders we partner with there consider themselves to be a mission post for outpost for Jesus. So they never miss opportunities for outreach. And, and Christmas is often one of those opportunities. So one December, Agape Orphanage and the leaders there, Joseph especially, chose two different villages to go into for their Christmas outreach. They came to the first village. They came the night before, but that night the Buddhist monks in the village rounded up the people. They came and surrounded the home where Joseph and his team were staying in, and they began to throw rocks at the walls, and they beat the walls with sticks. sticks. So our team decided that that probably meant they should leave. So they left early in the morning before it was light, and they went to the second village. The, The second village was much more receptive. So they proceeded to do their Christmas outreach there. After Joseph told the people about Jesus and what Christmas was all about, he was having a conversation with one of the leaders of the village. His name was Mit Shui. At one point in his life, Mit Shui was actually a Buddhist monk, and his sons were in training to be Buddhist monks. He was working for a military general now at that time, taking care of his fish ponds. But Mishuei was talking to Joseph, asking him about this Jesus and about prayer. And he told Joseph that he had a pain in his arm that was so bad that he, he couldn't do his fishing. He looked at Joseph and asked him, do you think Jesus could heal me? Joseph said yes, and he gathered the team around and they began to pray. But Mishuei wasn't healed, and so he went away. But that night he woke up at about three in the morning. He had a vision of a bright light coming down through his house and covering his head and his arm, and his arm was healed. That same night, one of Mitshoi's sons was sleeping on the edge of a field miles away. He was working in the field and sleeping in a shack on the edge. That same night, his son had a dream of a cross with a light coming from it. He didn't even know that Joseph Team was in his village. But when he came home, he told his father about his dream. And his father told his son about his vision and his healing. And the whole family decided there must be something to this Jesus. But when Joseph explained to them the commitment of baptism, they weren't sure they were ready or willing to do that. So Joseph invited them to come to the pastor's conference that we had while I was there, one of the first years. Come and listen to this pastor talk about Jesus. At the end of the first day, Joseph asked if they were ready to be baptized. They said, no, we need to hear more. At the end of the second day, same question. No, we need to think more. But on the last day, Mishwe came to Joseph and said, we believe in Jesus and we want to be baptized. And then he brought out a set of robes, the robes of a Buddhist monk, his robes and his son's robes, and his begging bowl. And he gave them to to me through an interpreter. He asked me to bring them back to the States and to to show them to people so that they would know that Jesus has the power to change the heart of a Buddhist monk. And that Sunday, I had the honor of baptizing Mishwe, his wife, and his four sons. I love good stories. I love to hear them. I love to tell them. But you know what I love even more? I love those opportunities that we are given to be a part of a good story. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. He's calling us to be a part of the stories that Jesus is writing. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily tangles us up, and let us run with perseverance this race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You may not realize this, but when Hebrews was written, it was all one document, no verses, no chapters. Those were added later. So Hebrews 12 is very closely connected to Hebrews 11. Some call Hebrews chapter 11 the Faith Hall of Fame. It contains this incredible list of stories, faith stories, the life stories of people who followed God by faith. 
The stories are not told in depth because it was assumed that everyone knew the stories. And, and in a gathering, all you'd have to do is say, hey, remember Sarah's story? Remember the stories of Moses and Abraham? Don't forget the story of David, Joseph, Gideon, Samson. The, the stories, amazing stories. And, and we're drawn to stories. John Eldridge writes, When we were born, we were born into the midst of a great story begun before the dawn of time, a story of adventure, of risk and loss, heroism and betrayal, a story where good is warring against evil and danger lurks around every corner and glorious deeds wait to be done. Think of all those stories you've ever loved, he writes. There's a reason they stirred your heart. They've been trying to tell you about the true epic ever since you were long, young. There's a larger story, he writes, and you have a role to play. I mean, be honest, isn't there something inside you that yearns to have a role in a larger story? Don't you hear a story like Min Shui's and think, I want my own stories. I want a story like that. The stories Jesus writes begin, begin with the words, by faith. Time and again in Hebrews 11, we read those words, by faith. By faith, Noah pre prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham went out. By faith, Sarah received the strength to have a child. By faith, Moses passed through the Red Sea. By faith, Joshua marched around Jericho. By faith, unnamed others were willing to be tortured and imprisoned rather than reject God. Think about that. All the unnamed others. The hall of fame for the unnamed faithful. Even the unnamed, unremembered people obtained a good story through faith. When my great aunt Anna died about, I don't know, 30 years ago, my father was the estate executor. So we had this amazing opportunity to go through her house and all her stuff. When I was a kid growing up, Anna was just crazy Aunt Anna. She seemed anxious to us. She, she was never married, lived with her brother, equally odd Oscar, collectors of all sorts of stuff, stacks of magazines all over the house, cupboards full of old TV dinner, aluminum foil plates, right next to antique china that was worth a small fortune. When winter blizzards would cause me to spend the night in town so I could get to school the next day, I'd stay in a bedroom that had piles of junk from floor to ceiling with just a path from the door to the bed. She made the best rice mush, played a mean game of whist, and frequently said ufta. But that summer we sorted through her stuff and I heard her story, a scrapbook brimming with memories of World War II, letters to, to young men fighting the battle, obituaries of friends who never came back. Gas ration stamps, war bonds, food ration stamps, letters to family left behind in Norway, certificate of baptism and confirmation. She was a woman who faced great loss, a woman who made great sacrifices for her friends and her community and her country. I wonder if she ever struggled with a lifetime of singleness. She was a person of deep Lutheran faith and often someone who was the life of the party. But you know, I never knew that because I couldn't see her whole life story. I didn't know the highs and the lows, the victories and the struggles. I wasn't there in the moments when God used her or shaped her. I didn't know her whole story. I just saw a portion. Can I tell you something? You don't know the whole story, anyone's whole story. When you look around you, you only see a portion. But, but listen to me. You don't even know your whole story. You only see a portion. Sometimes we look at chapters of our lives and we begin to think, that's my whole story. <laughs> But you know what? You don't know the whole story, not even your own, because you aren't the author. God is. You only see a portion. And maybe the portion you can see is remarkably wonderful, like you've got everything under control. That's not the whole story. There are rough times ahead because God isn't through shaping your heart. Or maybe the portion you can see is really hard. It's filled with discouragement, difficulty, and, and failure. That's not the whole story. You only see a portion, and God hasn't put the pen down. So just whisper this to yourself. 
my story isn't finished. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run the race with perseverance. Your story isn't finished. Jesus endured the cross, shrugged off the shame, and now sits in a place of victory. Consider that story. Now, how does considering Jesus' life story keep us from losing heart if it's not the case that his story can be our story? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for the fact that in each, in the life of each and every person who is listening to these words, that you are writing a good story. Whether the current page or chapter is hard, difficult, wonderful, amazing, easy, or, or maybe even seemingly purposeless. God, I pray that you would inspire people, that you would, you would find a way to cause them to know that their story is not over that we don't see the whole thing, that you are the author of our story. And if, if you are the author of our story, then hope is the story of our life. God, fill us with hope. Fill us with hope in your presence. God, would you write those stories of faith in our lives? God, for each and every person who right now is struggling with, with perseverance, who's thinking about quitting something that they shouldn't quit, God, would you give them hope and perseverance? It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.